You're listening to episode 61. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that It doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our future guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about how their big challenges came through, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student in this family, just so you know. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. And uh, remember to subscribe to iTunes. Just click subscribe on your podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Tune Radio, whatever is your favorite podcast listening platform. Davis Mutawa here, your host. Very excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. A.D. Pinar. A.D., are you ready to share your story? I'm happy to do so. And uh, thanks for having me, Davis. Awesome. Well, welcome to the Business Generals Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, A.D. is a general when it comes to Starting um, online businesses, if you've heard of WooThemes, WooCommerce, Conversio, he has been at the center of a lot of that um, startup, and uh, we're going to talk about how he's done that throughout his journey, and uh, just grab some lessons of um, how you and I can also do the same. So, Eddie, just take us a little bit, um, walk us through a bit about your personal personal life outside of business. Yeah, I'm married. I've been married for about eight years now. I hope I hope I got that right. And you know, if my wife is listening, that's that's eight years. <laughs> so, and uh, we have two uh, lovely young boys, um, Ad Junior, who is uh, turning six um, in the next couple of months, um, and his small brother Jamie, um, who's um, turning three shortly. You know, after that. So, we. Um, I think that's that's the most important thing for me to kind of mention. I mean, I I consider myself a big family man, and I derive uh, a lot of. The, the best moments in my life, um, you know, along with my, my family. And I've tried, at least in recent years, to kind of, um, you know, shift and optimize my, my life to give me more time and space, um, you know, to do those things. And beyond that, I, I, I guess there's kind of a, a couple of things that stand out. Um, one is I am definitely a wine enthusiast. I, you know, along with drinking a lot of wine, um, I, I'm really interested and passionate about wine itself. Um, okay. I run, I, I run often. I ran my first marathon last year, um, which was an amazing experience. Um, and I'm a big Manchester United um, supporter, which may or may not alienate, you know, half of your, um, you know, audience just there. Yeah, that's very unfortunate um, for you because, um, Everybody should just be going for Liverpool at the moment. Well, well we, we'll see you in, um, in May next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. Um, um, you know, congratulations for all the success you have had across the, you know, the years. And we'll get into how long that has been for you. But um, you have built um, influential platforms that have gone across the globe. You know, 
we've felt the effects of, of Woo themes, Woo commerce, even over here in in Australia. And even today, when I'm building new platforms, people are always talking about, you know, this is the best platform. So, so I just want to congratulate you for that. And just maybe walk us through for those who have not heard your story. Walk us through how that kind of the entrepreneurial journey started for you and how you ended up, you know, founding the Woo themes um, platform. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess uh, thanks for you know all the compliments and and kind words there. I mean, I think the thing that I always um, you know need to to say is that it's very easy to kind of you know look at you know other people's journeys, other entrepreneurs' journeys, and see that they kind of the, the big businesses, whatever you know, however you define big, but the, these things they've built that you know have made an impact in the world and they're considered successful. The reality mm-hmm. for me and very much so with with Woo Themes um, was that. A lot of the ideas that I and my co-founders initially had, it wasn't necessarily um, with the kind of that bigger business in mind. Like we were just being entrepreneurial, um, and you know that's the kind of that's the genesis for me. Like even before Woo Themes, I was I was working on things, and you know I I had this idea about being an entrepreneur and just working for myself, um, and that really was the essence thereof. So alongside that, what happened literally with Woo Themes was the way I got into WordPress was out of necessity. I was uh, in my final year of, of studying. Um, I needed a way to, to pay the bills to do so. And I got into to WordPress, um, started doing some consulting for, you know, for clients doing some cool things. And, um, you know, through that experience, I got to a point where I was, you know, felt I was doing cool things for clients, um, but they were paying me, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say top dollar, but, you know, a couple thousand dollars for, for a project. Um, and on the other side, I was building free WordPress themes um, as a way to kind of, you know, gain traction on my blog and, you know, find you know, customers. Um, and I wanted to have some kind of middle ground between those things where I could do the cool stuff that I was doing one-on-one for, for customers, but do it at a way, you know, kind of price point that was more accessible to, to a bigger audience. Um, so that's literally how I kind of stumbled into it. And I mean, at the time, um, you know, myself, I, I think there were, you know, two, three other entrepreneurs and all, all of us seemingly started selling what was you know, then termed um, premium WordPress themes at about the same time. And that was before kind of the ecosystem around WordPress products existed. At least it was either you either did kind of you know free stuff, you know, open source, completely free, um, or you did some form of consulting, um, you know, based on it. Obviously, today there's a you know vibrant community um, of various kind of you know different kinds of products and um, you know services and business models around WordPress. But back in the day, it was it was quite an early. Um, you know, move uh, for me to do that. And, you know, again, that, like to, to emphasize m- my first point is like at that stage, like, you know, I had no idea how big WordPress was going to become, how big the ecosystem around it was you know, going to become and subsequently how much of a wave, you know, Woo Themes would be able to ride out. And what year are we talking about, eighty? So I launched the first theme that became, um, eventually became Woo Themes and then that kind of, you know, helped me, um, you know, meet my, my co-founder, Magnus Mark, on 2 November 2007. So that's about two years ago. And uh, um, I mean, the, the kind of the preceding journey um, was about a year before that, that I started working on themes specifically. And I had one or two themes that I was selling by, just via my blog. Um, but the kind of the official genesis in my mind uh, for Woo Themes, at least, was two, you know, two November two thousand seven when when I launched what was called the original premium news theme, and that was the first product that I built that I sold beyond just my own blog. And I just want to ask you one question here for somebody who is listening and they've thought about you know how does this thing about themes work? You know, can you just break it down in a, in a couple of clear ways, and how can somebody use this as a way to generate additional 
revenue if they if they can in that space, or is this something? Is this is the opportunity gone? I mean, I I wouldn't say the opportunity is gone. Um, what I know about WordPress specifically is that it has become um, a much like tougher place to be um, to just build a sustainable business um, or a bit like a significant business at least. Um, I mean, the the big players now make the just the competition for for attention so hard, which means if like if you're a freelancer and you want to build your own product. Um, you know, and you want to build a close to something, you know, close to an MVP, for example, I think it's going to be hard to, to compete. But that said, I think the key there was, and, um, and I think this is a universal truth, you know, for, you know, for WordPress today, same as it was, you know, years ago when I started, but similar to, to other, you know, ecosystems is like, if there's a way to productize in some way or extent, some kind of service that you're doing, especially if you can do that at a, you know, you can get to some kind of cost efficiency, um, then I think you'll always have a market. So if you take the example of going from where I was doing consulting for, you know, for customers at say $2,000 a, you know, a project, um, and releasing our first, you know, themes for $100 a product, I mean, yes, there was obviously a level of customization that wasn't there, but that $100 pro, you know, project, um, at, you know, included at least 50% of what the, the $2,000 you know, project Included, um, except for the customization does. So I think if there's a way for you know for any freelancer to you know productize part of you know especially for service providers, I think this is important because they also have intimate knowledge of what their kind of customers want. Um, so if you find a way to productize that, even if it's just initially to kind of make your own workflow more efficient and and profitable, thus i.e. requiring less time but being able to you know build the same time, I think that's a that's a good starting point and a good way to think about things at least. Okay, great. Now let's jump a little bit. What what are your core revenue streams at the moment, Eddie? So with Convergio, what we do is we're all in one um, you know marketing dashboard for for e-commerce stores, and um, we have a very simple revenue model at least at this stage, which is purely you know hosted software as a service, um, you know that we sell. Um, which is very different uh, to to what we did with you know what I did with WooCommerce at least, which was well with themes and WooCommerce, which was you know once off downloadable you know kind of projects. But so monthly recurring revenue, um, you pay for the software, um, very kind of stock standard kind of you know a SaaS model today. And what are those main features, or maybe walk us through the story of Conversion? How did it all start? And because you've you've at some point you've exited Woo themes, WooCommerce, and you've done another project in between, and then you've gone on to start. Conversion. So take us to that story. What essentially happened is I, in kind of mid-2013, um, I was looking to uh, try my hand at building a new business. And what I initially did was I kind of stepped out of WooThemes' operations, um, you know, kind of went into a non-executive kind of directorship role and um, started working on a, uh, on a new product at that stage, which was called Public Beta, um, with the idea of it being mm-hmm. like an online, you know, uh, development and learning community for entrepreneurs. And then kind of throughout the kind of the six months that I was working on that, um, I was also negotiating my, my exit from, from WooThemes, which concluded at the end of 2013. But that was quite a kind of tough and challenging personal experience, um, which meant that by the end of that year, I, I was just also completely kind of burnt out emotionally, mentally. Um, and I actually shut down, um, you know, public beta as a, as a product at least. Uh, and then I took a couple of months off. Uh, and then in April, May 2014, I stumbled onto a, a blog post that um, the title was was very simply uh, email receipts or proposed that these email receipts are, are a missed marketing opportunity. And um, I read the article and I had a kind of aha moment where I felt that this was the kind of idea that I could 
both, you know, do something I wanted to do, um, which was a goal for me, which was work on a business that had recurring revenue. And secondly, you know, a business where I could leverage parts of my uh, experience from my past with, you know, especially with WooCommerce, where we could kind of build a, a B2B uh, software product for, for, for e-commerce stores. So the first version of our product before we were called Converger was called Receiptful. And uh, what we essentially did was we built a tool that would al- allow you to include some form of marketing in your email receipts. And mm. when I say some form of marketing, it was literally like stuff that we still do today that still works is like we'll give you a discount coupon to use for a next purchase or we'll you know include a personalized product recommendation. So other stuff you may buy. And, and these were all at the time, uh, they were all based on you know, the big retailers, guys like you know Amazon, for example, were doing this. And you know it was just not possible for smaller businesses to do it because there was no software solution to do that. So that's where we started. We we built the the email receipt um, you know kind of product, and then from there we've slowly evolved that. So we started building out complementary tools um, first towards kind of other uh, email marketing tools. So today we we cover um, beyond email receipts. We do email newsletters, we do cart abandonment, um, and we do post purchase lifecycle or follow-up emails and then we also do a bunch of kind of on-site uh, kind of widgets so from like typical kind of your you know other customers that bought this also like this those kinds of widgets we have feedback widgets we have product recommendation widgets uh, and we handle kind of search as well so we've put all of those things into one consolidated dashboard so that uh, you know smaller stores small to medium businesses where resources are always constrained in terms of time uh, can literally log into one dashboard and manage all these tools from a single dashboard I love the fact that you've um, identified an opportunity uh, and then you've caught on to maybe just a small part of it and then started from there and then you've you've grown a little bit into diverse um, avenues, but based based on that, you know, that receipt or that invoice idea. So what was it about that blog post? And do you think, um, you know, you had a successful exit? If somebody else was looking at that idea, I'm sure many people read that that, that blog post. Um, do you think it was just the idea itself or it was more you and the execution and the investment? Could someone else have done it? Um, I, I think many other people, you know, could have done it. Um, to be brutally honest, I mean, as I think the, the the thing that many people don't know because this is not, you know, kind of public knowledge, but many people see our business and, uh, you know, conversion today is, for example, integrated with, with WooCommerce, and I think many people look at it from the outside and they and they suspect that the fact that I was also a co-founder in WooThemes and WooCommerce helped Converjo in, in the way where they were promoting us and we, you know, kind of used all of those ties and whatever. The the reality is, you know, except for the fact that, you know, WooThemes or WooCommerce makes out about 10 to 15% of our revenue today, um, because my exit from WooThemes was, was so tough, like I left with kind of, you know, strained relationships and friendships that I had to rebuild, mm. you know, years after that. So there were no kind of, you know, favors. And I, so, and that's why I say, I think, you know, based on that, like anyone could have done it. Um, I think what helped me was the fact that I ha- had m- more understanding and more experience in terms of building solutions specifically for, you know, people that were building e-commerce stores um, because I was directly kind of, you know, what we did with, with WooCommerce at least. So, I mean, there was that kind of knowledge or experience transfer um, that obviously helped me. But for the most of it, like, that's just a leg up, right? I mean, that that's not... Uh, kind of a binary yes AD was the only person to be able to do this um, you know nobody else would have done that I, I totally think that there's loads of other talented entrepreneurs that you know could have done it as well so what was going on in your mind when you just said okay I'm gonna 
attack this idea? What were the first things you did? And just walk us through that timeline. Yeah, so I mean, I, after reading the article, the, the very first thing I did was um, I started Googling and, and trying to figure out had anyone else um, actually done this? Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's always interesting, like when you come up with an idea and you think it's such a un- unique idea. And then as soon as you start, um, you know, researching it, you, yeah. you find that you know, ten, 10 other people have already done it. Um, and like if you're, you're entering a market, you're going to compete in a, uh, not a saturated, but you're entering a competitive market already. Um, mm. So... I mean, that was the first thing. Um, but the steps thereafter was I initially the kind of the, the idea was slightly different. And um, I mean, at the time, just to give listeners a little bit of context, Stripe was going through a massive growth phase, especially around the, the ecosystem that they were building for apps. So you could at that stage, I think that there was a tipping point where you could build an app on top of Stripe exclusively and Stripe as a platform and you could essentially have loads of success, especially as a bootstrap you know, kind of product and, you know, literally one of those kind of waves in the, you know, that you can just get on and, and ride um, mm. based on Stripe's own growth. So the first version, what I did was I, I outsourced um, the, the first build of Receiptful, which was built on top of Stripe and was actually geared towards, um, you know, other SaaS companies first. So the, the initial kind of target audience wasn't e-commerce. Um, per se, because I, I felt, and not because I didn't want to do e-commerce, just because I felt Stripe was going to make this so much easier. I mean, they had a beautiful API, and like building an MVP product was going to be easier. Uh, we ultimately got to to MVP, uh, had a couple of you know users tested, and what we learned through that was that we could see engagement from the receipts, so we could see opens and clicks and stuff. And the main upsell or, or marketing we were doing in receipts was. To upsell the like annual billing, so for many kind of SaaS vendors that do monthly billing, the kind of one hack that they you know, try and implement is to get people to commit to uh, annual billing because that's obviously very nice cash upfront and um, it helps them to, yeah. to use the cash you know kind of to, to grow the business. So we could see that they were clicking on these things, but there was no kind of conversion, ultimate conversion, you know, through that. But the the engagement on the receipt was significant enough that I felt that it was worthwhile like taking a bit of a leap of faith you know from there uh, and and it was a big leap of faith as a, you know as a, as someone that generally likes the idea of bootstrapping and you know validating things with actual people paying money but kind of making the jump from there to deciding well we'll build this we'll use this this MVP we built we'll pivot and we'll focus on e-commerce stores we'll build the WooCommerce integration um, and follow it up with the Shopify integration and I actually hired a full time team at that stage of the I mean the the first two devs and the designer I hired back then they're still with Converger today. So so there definitely was a leap of faith, um, but the process mm. was, I mean, definitely kind of you know, MVP, try and get feedback, try and do some kind of validation um, before taking that ultimate leap of faith. That's amazing. And how did you get up to your first paying customers? From the outside, I was probably a bit of a hypocritical bootstrapper, um, but because we had no email receipts, it was such a theoretical idea at least, right? So, I mean, the things mm. that we could point to, as I mentioned earlier, was, you know, Amazon was doing this. And, and the assumption there is like, if Amazon is including some form of marketing in their receipts, you know, they're not stupid. So they must be seeing some kind of value from it. But then yeah. if you if you build a product to do the same thing, like it's very hard telling, you know, prospective customers pay for this thing um, because Amazon, you know, says it works, but then not <laughs> having any data to do it, right? So what we initially did was uh, the idea was for Receiptful to be a paid product, um, and that's how we launched. But within the first week, 
I I realized that was not going to give us the like a quick enough feedback loop, i.e. like get enough usage of the product so that we can learn what kind of marketing and the receipts you know could work. So we actually changed mm-hmm. to a completely free model, and and to this day our, our receipt technology you can use it completely for free, and we changed to that uh, to accelerate that just adoption and getting us that data feedback. And, you know, for everyone listening, I mean, today we send almost four, you know, four million receipts a month. Um, and that first month wow. we sent 250 receipts and the second month we sent a thousand receipts. So, I mean, it, it took quite a bit of time and patience for us to start getting that, that feedback loop going. But so this is end of 2014. We, we launched in November, 2014. And to answer the question then about uh, just getting to our first paid customer, in June, June, July of 2015, released our first non-receipt project, uh, product, um, which was our recommendation widgets at the time, and we started charging for that. So by that stage, I mean, I can't remember the exact numbers, but we're probably sending around 150, say, to, you know, it's between 150 and 250,000 receipts a month. We probably have about 10 odd thousand free customers using the receipts away. So we had a very nice like built-in audience that helped us. So once we had that product to actually sell them, there was quite a nice ramp up from there. And we just, we were able since then to kind of keep that momentum going by releasing more tools and just maturing the, the pay tools that we, we thus had. Which, um, tool is getting your customers the most satisfaction do you think well receipts and i i, I shouldn't say things like you know probably it because um I, I i should know these things you know off off hand uh, <laughs> i am unfortunately i'm not the most um kind of process or data-driven um entrepreneur or founder that you're likely find i um, i mostly run things off you know I- intuition but that's at least like when mm. when we do speak to our customers which we, which we obviously do to get their feedback it's like the receipts are still the thing that kind of makes us stand out and um you know that's definitely for the the vast majority of our customers that's the the, the biggest reason um that they can you know, come to us but as a kind of secondary thing, um, and like in the last year since rebranding then from kind of receiptful to Converjo, we've really started seeing adoption of this idea of having a you know all-in-one marketing dashboard. And you know, I mentioned earlier that this you know the consolidation of the tools in a single dashboard. There's obviously a kind of convenience factor there, which that's relatively easy to prove. You know, alongside that, we are a very cost-efficient solution. Like, I mean, for many of our users, we you know enable them to eliminate some of the other tools that they're using um, to switch to Converjo, and they can actually you know have a cost saving in that. And then the third thing mm-hmm. I think that. You know, it's 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 probably less evident to to a big part of our users, and it's also because we haven't been able to do that much work on it. But when you have all these tools that are like, natively connected, um, as we you know we can do it within Convergio, you start having data capabilities. Um, and you know, w- without being grandiose about uh, you know machine learning, deep you know kind of deep learning AI, AI, all those things. That's essentially kind of where you're working towards, you know, and where we're working towards is getting you that benefits. Like, because you have all this data there, um, you can probably do more. So we've started building tools, even if it's more manual than machine driven this stage, I mean, in terms of kind of customer segmentation, but there's definitely a massive benefit to have all of your customer data, all of your marketing data, or a big part thereof in a single dashboard and, you know, not having to use either intermediary apps to connect things or to pipe things into another central location. Um, Because anyone that's ever done that knows that, you know, different apps are, you know, ultimately have different ways of, you know, attributing things, of capturing data, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a very hard 
you know, kind of, you know, task and project to ultimately gather insights. So that's the part that we're trying to make easier for our, for our stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, as I said, we, we're definitely seeing more adoption and more interest in, you know, in that side of things as we're building out our own capabilities in, you know, in, in terms of that. So if we want to break it down, the receipts function, I'm just looking at your website here. It's basically at its most basic form is I've purchased something and here's your receipt. Um, bang, that's it. You bought two pairs of shoes for, for, for $50. Thank you for the purchase. Is that, that's it? Or you still have an upsell at the end of that for even for your free offer? No. So, well, I mean, we do do further upsells, but I mean, then we go into the realm of kind of, you know, post-purchase, you know, follow-up emails, but that's a you know, thing like because receipts are that simple um, and because every single, you know, transaction, both, you know, offline and on generates some kind of receipt, right? I mean, it's, the receipt is based on the fact that like there is some form of verification, like you want to see the receipt and you want to make sure that the merchant charged you what they said they were going to charge you. Um, mm. And that's why, I mean, we, we see like across the board, our, our, like our global averages for receipts sees like a 70% plus open rates and a 10 to 11% click rates because we're able to include specific kind of messaging and marketing within that actual receipt. Um, so, and that drives like, the, the engagement that drives a significantly higher than most of the other emails because of that very simple fact that you know people expect to get a receipt um, every single order you know kind of generates a receipt um, mm. and as I said I like this is this is assumption but I think it is that verification it is like I want to make sure I wasn't kind of you know overcharged um, and I paid what I was supposed to pay and that's why there is at least that attention for you know for a receipt which gives that opportunity to to further engagement and the big idea around it is someone has opened it there it's a warm lead and um, especially with the recommendations, which is the second thing you, you said you launched with, that's kind of like, hey, you bought a pair of shoes. Um, here's a pair of socks. This is what other people have bought. And then, you know, by virtue of me actually just saying this is what someone else bought, I'm actually giving them that sort of third party validation to say you're not going to be the only one out here. Or, or by the way, you should buy this because everybody else is also buying this. Is that kind of the philosophy behind it? Exactly. I mean, I think the because the, the customers already purchased, I mean, they've just made a purchase. I mean, that's the, the strongest uh, signal you can, like as a merchant, you can take that they are interested, you know, interested in similar products, for example, right? So it's not like they were just browsing a certain product. They actually just purchased the product. So you can make, you know, further recommendations based, you know, off of that. Um, you know, they're not an anonymous entity to you, you know, anymore. They are now, you know, a customer. They are now, you know, John Smith, um, that has spent, you know, exa- you know, how many dollars with you buying these three things. So you suddenly know, you know, kind of quite a few things about them. And by using the email receipts, you like literally strike when you know when the iron is hot, and you know that you have you know seventy percent plus chance of getting further attention from them. Um, you know, based off of the data, based off of the data that you could only have had like after purchase, right? Before someone's first purchase, before some kind of you know cookie based tracking, like you like or them logging into an account um, on your store, you have no history, you have no familiarity with them. But yes, I mean that's that's the idea. I mean that's why we're trying to. Um, and that's why the receipts, you know, works, you know, so well um, in terms of that engagement and subsequent conversions that that it generates. So, how did you actually grow at the beginning? So, you said, you know, the first month you sent out two hundred receipts, and then it grew to a thousand. What was your growth strategy at the beginning? 
so um, probably similar to, to to what it is now, which is just trying loads of things and you know hope um, hope something works out. Something works. Um, exa- right. Exactly, um, and I mean that's you know the, I think the reality with these things um, and kind of growing two businesses, uh, you know, marketing is always the hardest thing, and not doing marketing, but doing it in a way that you like where you know exactly what is working and to what extent it's working. Um, I mean, even mm. even online, I mean, it's like everyone seems to think that. You know, building an online business is, is utopia because it's like it's easy to track and you know, attribute things to, to specific marketing channels. At least from my personal experience, um, and maybe that's why neither Boothemes nor you know Convergio, um, you know, are or will ever be you know, unicorns because I I just I, I I've struggled with that. But I think you know what there was for, you know, for us. There's a couple of things that we have focused on that seems to 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 work, uh, and as I said this this might sound like the the kind of almost the cop out of an answer, but it mostly comes down to like word of mouth um, and the the reputation that we have out there. So like mm-hmm. we we've tried to build as simple a product as possible and and, and do that to the highest quality possible, um, and a product that is truly focused on driving value, um, you know both quantifiable value in terms of conversions we generate, but also in terms of the more the, the qualitative that I saw after stuff, the you know convenience, the the effortless way, or the like enjoyment you can get from from using a product. So, like the building a good product um, is definitely part thereof. The other thing is is definitely around our customer service and the way we interact with our customers. And the the way I I know that this worked was I mean I probably lost count of this because unfortunately it's a it's a bit of a manual project. But on on the Shopify mm-hmm. app store, so Shopify is our biggest you new know, platform integration in terms of um, kind of user base and and thus revenue. And um, our if you had a look like you know say a year or so ago when I when I counted this and you had a look at our public reviews of Convergio, almost you know forty percent of those reviews specifically mentioned customer service um, or support and like those things are like for me at least that's important and if I take that back like those were at least you know ingredients you know in terms of you know product and customer support and how those things I think the, the the third part of that is what that says about you as a brand and what you do then those are things that we focused on with Woo Themes as well um, I mean I, I can't remember with Woo Themes that we ever had a single marketing campaign or a single marketing channel where we said like this is going to deliver you know 100 new users you know, every month and you know $10,000 in revenue um, but we knew that we had a very very strong brand that keep spreading and kept growing um so i said i i understand like for like for anyone that's just more like growth hacking inclined that sounds like a bit Mm. of a cop out of an answer and like the answer is probably that i i should also be doing better like i i should be like part of the challenge here is and i'm not ignorant of that is finding those repeatable and scalable um you know marketing channels and and tactics um but at least for us like conversion three years and we're not there like but we've kept growing based off of like the, the brand that we're building and, and the fact that you know most people that use conversion and come across us seem to to love us and um you know at least some of them are telling other people about it yeah people want data they want to say you know you, you're spending ten thousand dollars on google adwords every month and that's generating x amount of things but are you actually driving paid ads at all did you do that at all as a strategy yeah, I mean, we're, we're you know to this day we're we're still doing that, and um, I mean, I, I think all those little bits you know convert. So I mean, so in terms of marketing, um, I mean, we, we do loads of content marketing and uh, both our own podcast and. 
by our own blog or academy, as we call it. Um, so content marketing is a you know big thing for us. We do try and incentivize you know referrals. We do you know paid ads for a specific you know kind of um, you know purposes. So whether it's based off of just promoting the product um, or driving you know traffic to content and then trying to kind of capture leads that way. Um, we do loads of PR, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we do try, like our marketing efforts spans multiple channels. It's just that at least in terms of how we're like, our measurement of those things, um, you know, which is obviously imperfect, right? Because attribution, marketing attribution is a problem. But at, what we see at least is all of those are relatively insignificant compared to the more organic parts of which is this word of mouth, which is the fact that, you know, if you go to the Shopify app store, you know, today, like you'll see Convergio ranked very highly and kind of reviewed in a kind of very positive light, right? So, I mean, those things, I mean, that, the, the Shopify app store, for example, is our number one, you know, user or customer acquisition channel, for example. So, yeah, I mean, mm. so, so, but we tr- do try and, you know, obviously it's every little bit helps. I mean, it's a idea that I kind of borrow, of, you know, from friends of mine, um, Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman, and they call it, like, I think they call it stacking the bricks. Um, and the idea is literally just there to like brick by brick, you're just going to put things in place and eventually, you know, you'll have whatever you want, whether it's a, you know, a skyscraper or just a mansion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's brick by brick and you, ha- you probably have to do all these different things ultimately to grow a bigger business. What I'm hearing is, you know, you're doing all these lots of different things to, to promote and to market, but at the core of it, um, you're focusing on creating a, a solid product, great customer service and identifying what it is that the market really needs. And it reminds me of, a, of an interview that I did with somebody who's, um, who's a guru when it comes to Amazon and he says you can hack the Amazon ranking um, piece by you know making sure you've got a whole bunch of people who buy your Amazon book for free or whatever it is on the first day and lots of reviews but and Amazon will rank you high but at the end of the day you know it will depend on how the quality of your product and you know eventually they'll de-rank you if they see that customers are actually not flowing through the organic searches are not happening very well so what I love about your story is your product is standing on its own and it's, it's, it's outranking other products because of that organic search. So how does that Shopify um, app store actually work? Is it all based on um, third-party feedback to be ranked? Um, so I'm not entirely sure, but I like what, what I do know. Obviously, I mean, as, as with Google, like they, they're always, um, you know, the Shopify team is, is, is vague when, when you ask them, like, how are things yeah. ranked? Um, what we at least understand, I mean, that there is a, a combination of, uh, I think, three things today, which is, I mean, they do look at, uh, like, pure usage. So, you know, installs, uninstalls of an app. Um, they do consider um, actual qualities of, like, ratings um, or reviews, which obviously has a star rating attached to that. So they, uh, as a way to quantify, so they, they definitely look at that. And they, they've now, and kind of, well, in the last you know, year, as far as I know, um, started augmenting that and making it more contextual. So if they, for example, see, you know, an app working really well in South America or in Asia, then they will use that data to kind of make personalized or contextual suggestions to someone browsing the app store, like based off of their location and other apps that they're using. So there is also that kind of typical kind of, you know, product recommendation or machine learning algorithm and play there that they use to, to, to augment those things. But it's mostly a case of, you know, usage and then like our customers finding value. Like what are they saying of this, you know, about this thing that, that they're using? That's great. And um, Adi, how big is your business right now in terms of revenue, in terms of the team members, which, which countries you guys are reaching and um, 
those sort of stats? Yeah, so um, the team is 14 people um, full-time, my, myself included, and we use a, a couple of kind of ad hoc uh, you know, freelancers to, to uh, augment us on um, specific skills for, uh, not to dimension, but smaller tasks, um, stuff that's not full-time. Um, we mm-hmm. In the last couple of months, we surpassed uh, $2 million um, in annual revenue run rate, um, so ARR, mm-hmm. um, and our user base is mostly North American, um, probably about 60%, followed by, by Europe. Um, which makes up uh, you know another thirty thirty five percent, and the rest of it is scattered you know, scattered all over. Um, I mean, in that sense, we don't have a specific geographical focus. Um, I mean, we mostly go to kind of where the tech you know adoption is. Um, which I think, if you look at kind of e commerce, the you know the states are early adopters and trendsetters. I think you know for that, so that's pretty, you know, probably why we see kind of more adoption there at the moment um, with the obvious proviso being or like consideration being that we're also mostly and well we're exclusively English in the way that we market and sell the product um, and the product itself is at least limited um, in a way that it supports other languages or you know kind of a multilingual environment so that probably excludes us from some geographies where you have kind of very specific language related requirements, which isn't just a case of changing your know, copy on you know on an email. So, hence why we're probably not as strong in you know non English speaking you know countries or geographies. Well, that's a, that's awesome, and congrats on the success. Have you have you actually raised outside capital, or this is all self funded? No, so we raised a, a small um, angel seed round, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. back in the day when we made the decision to. To make the receipts part of the product, you know, uh, product free, um, and then eventually, kind of over time, start bolting on the revenue. Um, I also made the decision that it would just help me personally um, not to have the the stress of self funding it. Um, even though I, um, I mean, I was capable to do so at the time, you know, based off of my Withems exit. But mm-hmm. it definitely, well, as an entrepreneur, it was a it was a nice experience. I I really enjoyed the. The experience of raising money and kind of getting uh, investment um, and commitment from other smart people. I mean, that, that felt great. I mean, that's a very kind of similar way to, to landing a big con- you know, contract with a customer, for example. But it also definitely decreased my, just my personal anxiety around, hey, like this is, I'm not the only one responsible to, to, to make this, you know, ship or, yeah. you know, s- sail, um, you know, beyond the team. Obviously, but, like we also have a bit of financial backing. So we did raise that initial seed round, um, you know, back in, um, I thought it was about middle 2015, um, April, May 2015, that closed. Um, it was half a million dollars. Yeah, and but we were able to use that. The great thing is, like from there, is mm-hmm. we were able to use that you know, funding alongside our revenue growth to ultimately you know get to profitability um, where we are today. So you know today we're we're totally able to at least for the moment um, you know grow within in our within our own means. Now you've you've grown all. I'm assuming all of your businesses based out of Cape Town in South Africa. How's that been like for you? Um, I mean, I, like over, like the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, it's it's been great. I mean, I like I um, I love living in Cape Town. Uh, Cape Town is such a, a great place, and you know, it's definitely you know, kind of what I call home. Um, to kind of with all the definitions of what what home is, right? So, like, I mean, in terms of that, I I, I love the fact, and I really appreciate the fact, and I'm grateful for the fact that I've been able to kind of structure and build my professional career at least um, in a way mm-hmm. where I've been able to stay or have a choice of where I want to live and ultimately make the choice of living in Cape Town. Um, but I mean, it, like it, it doesn't come without its challenges. I mean, um, kind of two, 
two things um, that definitely kind of come to mind is, um, you know, one less so today, but that it was like initially, uh, you know, Cape Town didn't have a vibrant, um, at least tech startup community, which meant that, mm. Uh, you know, kind of, I I always felt a little bit disconnected, um, and I kind of had to uh, had to put a lot of effort into kind of building relationships with with kind of friends internationally. You know, like minded entrepreneurs, um, you know, entrepreneurs from who I could learn, and you know, sometimes that required actually you know flying over to the states for a conference and meeting people in person. And um, you know, ultimately, like many of those uh, you know, kind of relationships that I kind of made um, at those conferences are, are still significant you know relationships you know today. So, but I mean. Like, like that's a challenge. I mean, it's it's not just a case of you know getting in your car or getting on a train and you know in within an hour you can be at a top tech conference and you know just meet all these you know people from you know from where you can learn. So I guess that's always been a, a challenge. Um, and the other challenge is it's just time zones. It's just a case of logistics, uh, which means yeah. that you know both themes and now the Convergio, as I mentioned, is like the, the vast majority of our user base is you know, North American based, which means that like in terms of like one's day, there's always that temptation to to want to work into the evenings. Uh, you know, for me at least, um, about five. I mean, I'm gonna probably butcher this now, but if you consider that around five p.m. my time is eight a.m. nine a.m. Um, in San Francisco, right? So that the, I mean, mm. that means that there's no natural overlap between those two working days. So, and we've always had you know whether it's customers or you know kind of partners, um, you know, to, uh, to whatever extent, we've always had people within the states. Um, so. Initially, when I was younger, at least, and kind of you know, pre, kind of prior to having a, a family, like I, I would just work evenings, and I would just have a very, you know, mostly unhealthy, you know, lopsided, unbalanced kind of lifestyle. Um, you know, today mm-hmm. I'm much more disciplined and diligent um, about that. So, I mean, I, I've always enjoyed working like early mornings. Like I have my normal work day, and then you know, once or twice a week, depending on um, you know when it's needed, I'll do, I'll set out a couple of hours in the evening um, to do those. Uh, you know, kind of, if it's a call, then sh- you know, schedule a call in my evening so that it has that overlap with you know with with people in you know in the U.S. But a big part of it is now just kind of you know you know when you know five o'clock you know comes by and it's I'm not that rigid, but if five o'clock kind of rolls in, the thing that I've stopped doing is think about you know if there's an email that comes in now. Like I know that if I respond to it now, then I can still get at least one other response from that person in you know in the states, yeah. you know that, <laughs> that day. And there's always that temptation because like I want to move quickly. I'm you know as ambitious as the, as the next entrepreneur, and I know that if I don't mm. respond now and I only do that tomorrow, then they only see it in their next day. And you know subsequently, like if you do that all the time, that obviously compounds and seems to delay all the things. And I think like I still fall into that trap every now and again, especially when I'm excited about something. Um, but I've mostly learned that like those conversations, like if you move, you know, a couple of days or even a couple of weeks slower than, you know, than you would for the benefits of like shutting down and not having to work evenings, you can still build a really great business regardless, you know, of that. Mm. Um, and I think the, like, but it's still a challenge, right? I mean, that as a logistically, it's still a challenge and, you know, always at the back of one's mind, like I still have that, like I should be working. I I should be checking email now. Uh, you know, I like, I can reply. I can move faster. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's still a challenge, and I think at least parts of that would be easier if if I was in the states. Um, but it's never been a, a serious consideration, at least for me, to not live in Cape Town. It's a good spot. Uh, I hear I hear lots of good things about Cape Town. I haven't personally been, but I'm I'm sure one day 
that'll happen. Um, hey, it's been it's been a great chat with yourself, um, Adi. I just want to wrap it up with um, you know two or three last questions. Give us one uh, top book that you have read that you think is a great read for entrepreneurs. Oh, for entrepreneurs. Um, so probably the best book that I've read in the last couple of weeks, um, and I the one that comes to mind, um, and this is not just for entrepreneurs, I think, or may, maybe it is, because as an entrepreneur, I learned a lot from it, but I'm totally going to butcher the, the author's surname, um, Paul Kalinati, I think it is. But the book's called um, When Breath Becomes um, Air. Um, and it's quite a sad story because Paul is, is not with us anymore. He unfortunately died before actually finishing the book, and his wife had to finish it. But um, it was such a great read for me as an entrepreneur because, you know, I at least think about building businesses in the very long term. Um, and there's always a case of getting to the next point in one's business that then enables the pursuits of the next point, right? Um, ultimately to get to, to the summit that we want to reach. And like, you know, Paul being a, a very, he was a, a very ambitious doctor and, um, you know, through his journey, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, without kind of spoiling things, there was just this this notion of of time, right, and how to kind of you know find a way and a balance between pursuing these bigger things that one wants to pursue, but at the same time, kind of balancing it with just living you know today, living in the now, experiencing the things that you can already experience today without having to to work towards them. That's a great great um, understanding about life because um, life is fickle and it can um, be taken out in any second. So so thanks for sharing that. Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you, AD? They can go to my blog, which is AD.me, um, or Twitter, which I seem to not use that often anymore, but that's at AD. Otherwise, like anyone that wants to um, just email me, and they can just email me at AD, so ADII at conversion.com. Like I am relatively responsive um, on email, depending on when you catch me, um, and depending on how easy you make it for me to, to, to respond. But if anyone had any questions and they want to connect and chat, um, I'll definitely try my best to, to chat to them by email as well. Awesome. Well, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to thank you for you know stepping out when you did at an early sort of just after leaving uni and uh, you know creating what you've created in WooThemes, WooCommerce, and now in Conversio. And I can't imagine all the lives that have been transformed just because you know you took the risk and you stepped out and you've you've impacted lots of people around the world. And uh, for for coming onto this show specifically and sharing your your wisdom and your learnings to our our listeners here on this show. So appreciate you for that. Um, for the last question, AD, when all is said and done, and I think we've touched on this a little bit in our previous um, chat about the book, but do you think about legacy and what, um, if you do, you know, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yes. Um, I mean, I do think about legacy, but um, probably not in the way that I, I mostly don't care how people think of me when I've left, um, you know, this universe. Uh, you know, that's... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to be here to, to, to worry about that kind of thing. Um, but where, you know, kind of uh, the very honest answer is um, the thing that currently scares me um, significantly is kind of the just, I, I've not figured out exactly how I kind of plan on doing this, but I mentioned having two, two young boys and like I would hate to, for example, leave this world tomorrow and know that they didn't really have the opportunity to, to, to you know, to get to know me um, and not a case of, like it's not a case of me not trying to like to teach them or um, like spend time with them. It's just a case of they're three and six years old, right? So they they don't understand. Like there's no way where I could have you know a glass of red wine with them and a big you know philosoph- you know f- philosophical kind of conversation about life and the way I think about life. So um, you know there's definitely something there, and um, I think 
you know, that's my kind of bottoms up approach to, to at least answering your question. I think like if I am thinking about ways in, in which I can leave something behind for them, I, I would be absolutely honored if like anyone else in this world found that valuable as well. Right. So, and I guess that's the way I think about legacy. It's, it's more about um, just kind of trying to make myself accessible, even when I'm physically not you know, here anymore, more so than like have a specific reputation for something. I totally get it. Um, my daughter is five and uh, that's always a conversation in your head. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, that's really powerful. And uh, that brings us to the end of the show. So um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and AD today. I hope you had uh, lots of fun on this interview and hope you, you got something in um, our conversation that can help you get your hopes up to know that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. We're preparing a show hala real specially for you. Just jump onto businessjournals.com forward slash A-D-I-I-P, A-D-I-I-P, and you'll be able to get a summary of everything that we talked about today so that you don't have to take notes. And uh, to connect with AD, you know, jump onto ad.me um, or ad at conversion.com. We'll link all this up in the show notes and uh, don't forget to subscribe and the iTunes platform or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. So, AD, thank you so much for being uh, on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we're absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Thanks again, Davis. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.